0: About five years ago, our family went through uh, Hurricane Arthur uh, when we were at our beach house in North Carolina. Uh, We could see on TV that um, we were like dead center for a big storm that was going to be coming sometime late Thursday, and I was beginning to panic. Should we stay or should we leave? So I talked to my landlord, Travis, and I shared uh, my fear with him. He said, Mark, you have nothing to worry about. He said, this house has gone through a Category 5 hurricane with, with no damage whatsoever. In fact, he said, this house is equipped with steel shields. All you have to do is push a button and all the windows and all the doors will be covered up and you'll be safe inside. So we decided to stay. And we began to prepare for the storm, putting the cars under the house and putting outdoor furniture away and buying flashlights and and food and water. Actually, it was kind of fun and exciting. And then till about 8 o'clock when the thunderstorms began. And we put the shields down and and, uh, later on that night we went to bed and around midnight that hurricane struck and the house would shake and begin to rattle and the rain beat the house. Uh, But by morning... Uh, The storm was over, and everything was just as it had been before. Of course, a lot of storms don't end that well. Uh, Two weeks ago, a tornado went through Lee County, Alabama, and 23 people lost their lives, and many more lost their possessions. We had days to prepare for our storm, but most of these folks had only a few minutes to find shelter before it blew through. And there's a good chance some of you have been through a storm. Anybody been through an earthquake? No? There's one back there. How about a tsunami? Not too many tsunamis in Ohio, unless you're too close to the Ohio. Maybe a tornado. Anybody been through, yeah, a hurricane? Of course, a lot of us older folks remember the blizzard, 77, 78, a lot of hands going up. Yeah, you remember those days. And, of course, we, we go through different kinds of storms. Uh, we go through financial storms, we go through emotional storms, uh, we go through relational storms. And there's a good chance that a lot of us have gone through that perfect storm, you know, when, when people and events and, and time and place just all converge at the perfect time to, to wreak havoc uh, in our lives. We sit in the doctor's office stunned uh, by the report of the biopsy, or we lose our job and and no one is hiring, and our bank account is on empty. Or maybe a romantic relationship with that person of your dreams. Maybe it's just crashed and burned. Well, we're in week two of our Lenten study in the book of Jonah. Uh, Last week, we heard God's call upon Jonah to preach to uh, the people of Nineveh, but Jonah fears and hates the brutal Assyrian Empire, and when the word of the Lord comes to Jonah, he says, no. In fact, he boards a ship that just happens to be going in the opposite direction to a place called Tarshish. In fact, it is believed that Tarshish lay on the outermost western rim of the world known to humans at that time. Called to go east, he goes west, (laughs) as far as he can go. Jonah runs from God. Let's hear what happens next. The Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. And all the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. And the captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up. Call on your God. Maybe he'll take notice of us so that we will not perish. The sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. And they cast their lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And so they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? And he answered, I'm a Hebrew. And I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And this terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? Uh, They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. And the sea was getting rougher and, and rougher, and so they asked him, What should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied and it will become calm. For I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Isn't it interesting? Jonah runs from God, but God won't let him go. And I want you to notice these words here. It says, the Lord sent the great wind. Folks, this this is no accident and it was a great wind, uh, the same word used to describe uh, the great city of Nineveh. If Jonah refuses to go to the great city, well, then he's going to go into a great storm. And so we find here the same God who can calm the storm can also stir them up. In fact, we see throughout this little book the truth that, that God is in control, <laughs> That he sends a storm, he sends a fish, he sends a plant, he sends a worm, he sends this scorching wind. You know, some things in life are simply useless. You know? Like trying to save money on your daughter's prom dress. (laughs) Don't even try. In fact, I still have two prom dresses for my two daughters from the 90s, okay? If you need one, see me after the service. Some things are just useless. Cheering for the Bengals, another thing <laughs> could <can> be useless. <laughs> Trying to change your spouse's mind, that can be useless. See, we can't run away from God. God's everywhere. We cannot go where he is not. He is omnipotent. There is nothing he cannot do. He's omniscient. He knows everything. He is omnipresent. He is everywhere at once. We cannot run away from God. Author Tim Keller says this, that every act of disobedience to God has a storm attached to it. Every act of disobedience to God has a storm attached to it. Now, this is not to say that every difficult thing that comes into our lives is somehow punishment for some particular sin. Uh, Thank God. Uh, Otherwise, I would have been dead a long time ago. (laughs) Besides that, Job's friends would disagree. Job's entire argument with his three friends consisted of proving to them that there was absolutely no truth to the common belief that good people live lives that go well and bad people live lives that go badly. His friends insisted that Job's troubles were caused by some sin in his life and if he would confess it and change his ways, well, everything would be okay again. The biblical record does not say that every difficulty you face is your fault. But it does teach that, that every sin will bring you into difficulty. You can't put garbage into your bodies and expect to have good health. You can't treat other people like garbage and expect to have good relationships. You can't keep running lights on Beachmont Avenue and expect not to eventually run into somebody. You see, if we violate the design and, and purpose of things, if we sin against our bodies, if we sin against our relationships, if we sin against society, uh, we, there are consequences. And so the laws of God are not some arbitrary decree that God made just to irritate us. They help us. They help us to fulfill our God-given destiny. They, they help us to go into the flow of the universe. And, and when we break God's laws, we're going against the flow of the universe. And so Jonah experiences the consequences of his running in a very dramatic way. Uh, there, th- this, there is a mighty storm that is directed right at Jonah and it is so sudden and it is so furious that even the well-experienced sailors who had already faced many storms uh, on sea knew that there was something different about this one. It had a different quality about it. This was no normal natural storm. And that their lives were in peril. They are throwing cargo overboard. They're trying everything they can do to reach safety. Interesting, isn't it, that not only does the storm affect Jonah, it affects the sailors as well. You see, most often the storms of life come not because of some particular sin, but as an unavoidable consequence of living in a, in a fallen and, and broken and messed up world. It was not the fault of, of these sailors that they were caught in the storm. They are innocent bystanders. They're not running from God. You know, we tend to think that, that everything that happens to us has a cause and effect. I was talking years ago to a World War II vet who remember being told by his sergeant in basic training, he said, there's a bullet out there with your name on it and you can't escape it, but you can't be hurt by anything unless it's that bullet. Now, of course, that would give you great courage in a battle. I mean, if your name's not on it, it can't hurt you. And, and if your name is on it, well, you can't escape it. Cause and effect. But every once in a while we discover that life is not always that orderly that life is not fair in fact sometimes you might think that the universe is not even predictable and we conclude god doesn't care about me or maybe even god doesn't exist i went to see a, a, a in the hospital I went to see a friend She had pulled a tendon through a freak accident, and the doctor had put a boot on her to stabilize her foot, but the boot caused a blood clot which went to her lungs, almost taking her life. And she said to me, she said, Mark, I've discovered that life is fragile and tenuous, that you are fine and and healthy one moment, and you're hanging on to dear life in the next. Life is not always that predictable. And I've had people say to me, I can't believe in a God because so many innocent people suffer. They're assuming that innocent people could never suffer in an orderly world created by a fair God. And I see that in myself, you know. If somebody's hurt in a car accident as a result of speeding or drunk driving, I think to myself, well, that's too bad, but you know, those things will happen when you do those things. Or somebody falls and breaks an arm attempting a, a crazy uh, stunt on a skateboard. I think, well, I feel bad for them, but, but they knew better, cause and effect. But then a, a gunman comes into a mosque and starts shooting people. Or a random tornado seems to come through and, and takes everything that you have. And life seems random. It makes no sense. And when these things happen, people, they ask, where is God in all of this? How could God allow this to happen? Couldn't God have stopped it? If God is so great, if God is so good, why does he allow human beings to hurt each other? We find the story in Luke 13, Jesus is addressing a crowd, and, and somebody in the crowd speaks up and, and, and brings up a recent event in which some Galileans uh, have been murdered by King Herod. And Jesus replies, do you think that because these Galileans uh, suffered in this way, that they were somehow worse sinners than all the other Galileans? And then he goes on, or how about the 18 people who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them? Do you think that somehow they were worse defenders than all the others living in Jerusalem? What's the point Jesus is making? That people are not killed by others or by natural disasters because they happen to be worse sinners than us. You see, these things happen because God gave us the capacity to make choices, and it is both our our greatest blessing and our worst curse. God has given us free will and made in the image of God. He has given you and me freedom to to decide how we're going to act and the ability to make moral choices But this ability is is the source of so much pain in our world. People often make selfish and self-centered choices. In fact, sin is ultimately selfishness. I want to do what I want, not what God wants me to do. And unfortunately, sin often hurts others and not just ourselves. And so God could have eliminated all evil from the world by, by simply removing our ability to choose. But for some reason, God doesn't want us to be puppets on a string. He wants to be loved and obeyed by creatures who choose to do so. See, love is not love if it's, there are no other options. So God allows the natural consequences of our decisions to play out. And sometimes he does intervene, and we call those miracles... But miracles are, by their very definition, rare. I believe in them, and I've seen them, and, I, and I've prayed for them. I've prayed fervently for miracles, but those prayers aren't always answered the, exactly the way that I wanted them answered. Sometimes life seems so random. But this storm has a purpose, and God is going to use it to get Jonah's attention. The sailors are, are crying out to their gods. Jonah is, is down uh, below deck asleep. I don't know how they do that. You know, if it, if I, when I've been on a ship and it's been in a storm, yeah, I'm not sleeping. I'm doing something else, which I won't tell you what I'm doing because we're right before lunch. But Jonah is sleeping. It kind of reminds me of another storm on the Sea of Galilee where the disciples are afraid of sinking. And what's Jesus doing? Do you remember? He's taking a nap too. How can you sleep? Get up and pray, the sailors tell Jonah. Isn't it interesting that they are more religious than the wayward prophet? They're praying, Jonah's sleeping. They cast lots to see who is to blame. The lot falls on Jonah. Who are you and what in the world have you done that this is happening to us, that you've put our our lives in peril? Well, I'm a Hebrew and I worship uh, the Lord of heaven who made the sea and the dry land and, and I'm running from the Lord. Well, what should we do to calm down the sea? Well, throw me overboard. I think that'll work. Isn't it interesting? The storm is already starting to to change Jonah, starting to redeem him. He's beginning to take responsibility, and he offers his life to save others. Well, they don't want to kill him, and so they try again to row back to shore, but the storm becomes... Even worse. And so they pray. They say, Lord, don't hold us accountable for killing this innocent man. And they throw Jonah overboard, and the raging sea instantly grows calm. And the sailors, man, they're having a little religious experience. <laughs> they're having a conversion They're expressing faith in the Lord. They're offering him a sacrifice. They're they're making vows to him. And it looks like this is the the end of the story, that Jonah drowned for for disobeying God. But that's not really what the story is about. It's really about God's grace and about God's mercy. And he sends a fish to swallow Jonah whole. And it's a big miracle And for some folks, it's pretty hard to believe. You you may have heard that um, just a couple weeks ago that some scuba diver off the coast of South Africa was temporarily um, eaten up by a a whale and then spit overboard. I thought that was really interesting right before our series on Jonah. (laughs) So I'm not going to doubt the story. I'm not going to try and take the time to prove it. But I will say this, folks, that if you believe in the existence of God, and if you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, there is nothing particularly difficult about reading Jonah literally. <laughs> You know, the writer reports it as a simple fact of what happened. No extra supernatural elements are added to try to give it some excitement. Of course, Jesus mentions Jonah in the belly of the great fish as a symbol of what will happen to him in the belly of a tomb for three days as though it was a fact. So don't get distracted by the fish part. Here's what I want you to see. Is this storm has a purpose? like a lawyer who was on his own ship to Tarshish, loaded with a lot of money. And his sea was a sea of alcohol. And because of his addiction, he kept going down and down and down until one day the managing partner of his law firm told him, your next bender will be the last day that you work for this law firm. For a couple months, he... uh, stayed sober, but then he went missing. And when a few co-workers went looking for him, they found him in a hotel. He had been on a three-day drinking binge. And he lost his job. He entered a rehab clinic and then was assigned to a sponsor who told him that every morning at 6 a.m. that he was going to have an AA meeting and he was expected to be there. And he responded, he said, there's no way I'm getting up at 6 o'clock in the morning just to hang out with a bunch of drunks. Not going to do it. And so his sponsor said, fine. You can get up at 5 a.m. and fix coffee for the rest of us. And he did. And that, G, that lawyer Found Jesus in that AA group. He was delivered. His life was saved. His marriage was saved. He went down, down, down as far as he could go, and to his great surprise, hitting the bottom was the greatest thing that ever happened to him. It was in the storm that that lawyer met God. And God was there doing something great. In the 8th chapter of Romans, the Apostle Paul says this, And we know that in all things God works for good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. He actually begins um, that a little bit earlier in verse 18. He talks about the sufferings of this present time, about the inescapable aches and pains of living in this world and the difficulty of, of living the Christian life in a world that is that is hostile towards holy living. And Paul is not talking in the abstract because he had experienced firsthand life at its very worst. There had been attempts on his life. Friends had, had turned on him. He had been mugged by robbers. And run out of town, shipwrecked at sea, and and spent time in jail, and he had several physical issues in his life. But he gets to the end of all that, and in verse 28, he says, But let me tell you that in spite of all this, God can take these sufferings, he can take our misfortunes and use them for good in our lives. Not that he causes these things but he takes them and he transforms them and he uses them for our good. What a marvelous promise. It's one of my favorite verses that I cling to. Not that everything is going to automatically work out to the satisfaction of good people. Not that we're necessarily going to live happily ever after. But the promise is that you and I are going to finish the... We're going to finish... We're going to cross the finish line of life and we're going to reach our God-given destination. Paul reminds us that God can take any situation and use it for his purpose, that your storm has an eternal purpose and meaning. I think it's interesting that Jesus compared his three days in the grave to Jonah's three days in the fish. You see, I think Jesus went through his own storm. And we see it in the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus is on his knees and he is praying, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken away from me. Jesus doesn't want to go through his storm either. But he finishes by saying, yet not as I will, but as you will. You see like Jonah J- Jesus doesn't want to go for for an hour he prays and it takes a long time you see I think for us to get to the point where we're willing to say not as I will but as you will But Jonah says no Jesus says yes requires a lot of struggle our hearts are stubborn We do not let go of our own will easily. But my friends, that is where the battle is fought and won or lost. In the belly of the whale, Jonah prays. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prays. And Hebrews chapter 5 verse 7 says this, that Jesus was heard, listen, because of his reverent submission. You see, that turning point in our lives is when we begin to surrender to the will of God. And God hears that prayer, and God answers. And because of that, our future is secure. What Jesus did saves us. And God can save us through our weakness. He can save us through our suffering. And and he can save us through our apparent defeat. And so when you and I, when we face our own dark storm, when, when evil attacks and when temptation comes because of what Jesus did on the cross, you and I, we have hope for our future. We have in Jesus a Savior who sticks closer to us than a brother. We have in Jesus one who has been through the storm himself and yet never deserts us in our time of need. The question that Jonah will have to answer and the question that all of us will have to answer at some point in our lives is simply this. Will we choose God's will or will we choose ours? Will we say no or will we say yes? Let's pray. God, help us today and every day, each morning when we arise and each night when we go to sleep to say yes to you. And in that, know that our future is secure. Amen.